Well, to everyone, good morning. <laughs> Thank you. Good morning, everyone. To many of you, happy Father's Day. Robert, happy Father's Day to you. Love you. God bless the USA. You do need me, don't you? Yeah, I do need you. Well, two quick questions for you. What is your goal as a dad? I say often I want to be glad. that my, I want my kids to be glad I'm their dad. And that's a very tall order. But for me, I, I think a lot of it has to do with my uh, profession. I speak to all the fathers in the room, but my profession in particular, uh, I want my kids at the end to say that dad didn't just talk about God, but that he walked with God, that he loved him. Second question, what is the hardest part about being a dad? Providing. <laughs> and one thing specifically, am, am I right though, guys? Providing. Just providing. Uh, one thing I would say, it's an ongoing challenge, and that's um, the challenge of lecturing without listening. And there's a passage and men, it can get the best of us. And if it has, learn to repent, learn to confess, learn to say you're sorry. But in James 1, 19, a lot of you know it says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. And it's so easy as a dad because we're bigger, older, wiser, and we want to lecture without listening. And I hope my kids find me more and more growing in the character of Christ where I would be um, that person listening to them without... I mean, you have to lecture. I got a, I got, I got a couple of teenagers, right? You got to lecture... But can you do it without? Um, can you do it while you listen as well? Well, you're you're a good provider, and you do lecture well. Mm. But um, <laughs> I would say that's a good thing to be a better listener. Just that's oh. good, <laughs> right? Haley, Haley's are you on gonna, the front Are you row. here to point out growth areas in front of all these people? I th I think it's probably a good time to do okay. that. Okay. I would, I would yeah. Say. So yeah. you did not preach last week, and you have a story about that. Yes, before the service, I spoke to a, it's a couple friend of ours. We just uh, recently had dinner at their home, love them to death. I would count them new friends, and they walked past, and I spoke to her, and I said, um, she didn't know we were about to have a guest preacher, and I said to her, hey, you're finally going to hear a great sermon at Fondren Church. And she uh, shrugged it off and probably said something praiseworthy to me, and you know, shrugged it off, had her seat, and after service, she walked up to me, straight up, stone cold, said, Robert, you were right. I like her. You, you need that. Keeps yeah. you humble. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and for those of you who weren't here, you really do need to go and listen to it online. It was, it was really impactful. Um, yeah. yeah, Daniel made reference to it a moment ago as he hosted Welcomed in Our Service, but it was a powerful sermon where Mark DeMoss talked about what heaven looks like and, uh, you know, that heaven is will be populated with people. It's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, but every tribe, tongue, and nation will be in heaven. And the challenge that we were issued as a church was to begin to look like heaven. We say it here, it's sort of a moniker that we want to be in the city and for the city, and now we're adding to that that we want to look more and more like our city. And Mark was sound. Mark was theologically sound. He talked about how a multi-ethnic, multicultural church it was envisioned by Jesus in John 17. It was described by Luke in Acts 11 and 13. And it was prescribed by Paul in all of Ephesians and all of Romans. And so very powerful message that we heard last week. And as she said, go online and listen to it uh, if you haven't.
And I was with the staff team the next day, and we talked about it. You were with the elders that night, and y'all talked about it. I think the deacons were together as well, and they talked about it. Um, there was an elder that was not able to be there, but he wanted to weigh in, mm. and he sent this text, and we wanted to read it. Number one, agree with the theological basis of the plurality of the gospel. Number two, God has placed Fondren Church strategically and geographically to demonstrate the gospel. Three, we have begun to embrace this part of the gospel by investing in opportunities such as we will go, West Fondren, Red Door, etc. Number four, we need to extend the partnerships with local African American leadership and listen long and hard and regular with expectation that the spirit will open opportunities to partner together number five we need to sacrifice our preferences like music convenience for people and number six god may lead us to multi-ethnic leaders we should look to broaden um, and this week i watched you watch the gym um, get a new roof and you got emotional yeah, you know, some people get emotional about reunions between like a military person coming home and their wife or children or, you know, puppies or, you know, a Taylor Swift song or something like that. But I get emotional. I got emotional when the roof was complete. A week ago, they rolled in the trucks and they just let it sit there occupying a few parking spaces. And I thought, oh, these, these guys are going to go slow. There's called A1 Roofing. Y'all know them. It sounds like a steak sauce. But they uh, rolled in, and this week, uh, they got it done in a week, and it's an awesome thing. I was told, um, I was limited. They said, no one can do anything in the gym until we get that roof fixed, and it's fixed. I got emotional about it, but it just represents so much. Again, Daniel stole a little bit of my thunder, but the roof uh, is up, and now things can start. And he told you we're really, really, really close to uh, the gym floor getting on there. I went in to Nick's office and said, man, we're going to get the floor in this summer. And he goes... Yeah, we could. I go, do you think there's any way we can put the floor down at the end of the summer? And Nick's like, you know. So see, I'm the wow guy. Nick's the how guy. And, and let me, listen to me. You need both. You really need both. And so Nick was afraid I was going to try to go out there and get a check to finish up the floor. And then the giving would dip. And then we would, you know, we'd need it for the budget. So I want to just challenge you. Summer is hard for churches. And we're so close to something good. And so I want to challenge you to, to give. Picture, if you would, a ladder. A pastor friend of mine illustrated with this before, but the, picture a ladder. And the first rung of the ladder is a, a first-time giver. For some of you, that could be your step you've never given before. And for the second step on that ladder would be a sporadic giver. You know, you, you give when you feel like it, when you have a little bit left over. That never works for us. We have to give principally. And that's the next rung on the ladder where you, you, you pick a percentage and you begin to give that percentage the next rung on that ladder is, is called tithing. It's ancient, but it's so freeing and so wonderful. And the tithing is when you give 10% off the top, trusting God that 90% His way is better than 100% your way. But even there's another rung on that ladder, and that is a generous life. The top of the ladder, not to establish some hierarchy of who God loves and who needs to feel guilty, but at the top of the ladder is just someone who says it all belongs to God. And I'm not going to let 10%, I'm not going to stop at that, but I'm going to continue in that realm. It's, it's a scary way to live. It's a way that we've decided to live a few years ago, but just to be out there on that ledge. And, and we want to challenge you. I want to challenge you today because the church that we feel God is calling us to be, let's not shrink back. And I want to challenge everybody to think about what step you can take on the ladder. Maybe it's to become a first-time giver or to become a 
percentage giver or to actually become a tither or even beyond that. Some of you, you tithe. It's been a regular practice in your life. You know how God blesses that. But this may be a season for you where you can give a sacrificial gift. That's how close we are to seeing something great happen. And a couple of years ago, we we had the sense that we were going to own the gym before we owned the whole facility. And we brought in a landscaper and had to pay several thousand dollars. Anybody remember how nasty it was back there? And they cleaned all that out and cut trees down. And as they cleared it, there were several workers. And I I talked with one of the workers. It was a, a black man, about 23 years old. And I'll never forget this conversation, only a couple of years ago, but he asked me if Woodland Hills was still around. I said, yes, we share the space with them. I pointed down here. And he asked about Deb Addington. Anybody remember Deb? She was one of their staff members. We, we love Deb. And Deb had a basketball ministry in the gym. And this guy lit up talking about that. In fact, he wanted me to walk across the parking lot to, so that he could talk to Deb. It had been years. And here was a 23-year-old man who, when he was a kid, someone invested in his life and gave him a positive environment, gave him a place to grow and mature. And that's uh, what I believe that God's called us to be and even what I want to be a part of. Uh, it's close, but I've got an African-American brother that's going to help me. Uh, we've got to work around schedules and stuff, but to start a basketball ministry. Uh, I'm not going to play basketball, but I want to start the ministry. <laughs> it's probably a good idea. And so that's why I got emotional about a roof. Well, today it's the soul. Um, We're going to recap and then wrap up. And this week in your office, we were talking and behind us were all your books that had something to do with the soul. Um, Here are some titles. Soul Keeping, How's Your Soul, Soul Quest, Soul Care, a little handbook on having a soul, soul detox, soul talk, soul repair, soul print, soul set free, soul searching. So many titles, but yet it's so tricky to define. Yeah, well said. A lot of titles. That, that one shelf there, second from the bottom, is what you, you read some of the titles, and I've read probably half of those books on the soul. And as you said, the, so many titles, but it's tricky to define the soul. Um, a couple of books I would recommend would be by Dallas Willard and J.P. Moreland. If you want to even Google that, J.P. Moreland on the soul, Dallas Willard on the soul. They uh, speak so well about what the soul is. We've defined it uh, loosely, generally through these weeks. We've defined it as the invisible you, the integrated you, the eternal you. Consider Psalm 103, David here, Psalm 103 and verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, um, all my inmost being. Uh, one version says, all that is in, within me, praise or bless his holy name all that is within me that is your soul it's who you are it's the integrated you and uh invisible you and the eternal you you may not recognize the name monica simpson offhand monica was a writer eking out a living in new york city in manhattan and she got a phone call that informed her that she had a brother that she didn't know existed this brother wanted to meet her He discovered her first and set up a meeting. And as they talked, it was a thing she thought, this is right out of a, as a writer, this is right out of a novel, something that I would write. And she sat down with her brother that she had never met before and found out he was in technology. And she thought, well, that's interesting because I'm a writer and I I write on a typewriter. She told her brother she was thinking about getting a computer and her brother said, oh, you know, I'm glad you hadn't got a computer yet because I'm designing a beautiful computer that's just going to be user-friendly, insanely beautiful. And that brother turned out to be Steve Jobs. Can you imagine finding out your brother uh, is Steve Jobs and 
they connected and she said it was just amazing. It was a wow moment in her life to see who he was, what he would invent, who he would become, the people that he would bless. And she said that was one of those great wow moments, but the, the greatest wow moment that she experienced with him was at the, the end of his life. Y'all, y'all know that he passed. Everybody is going to pass, no matter how great you are, no matter what you accomplish, you and I, we're, we're here, we're vapors, we're just here for a little while, but we, we have a soul. And Steve Jobs' uh, biographers, his sister Monica uh, Simpson writes about him, and, and he was a difficult person. He was a very, uh, just a, a mass of complexities, like, I believe, like all humans, gifted, but complex. And at the end of, of his life, when he was just with his wife and his children and his sister around his bedside, he lied there, his breathing was labored. And they said he was such a difficult person, even at the end, that he was picky about nurses. He, there were 67 nurses offered to him. He only liked three of them. He would reject the other. And that they, they would have to bring him about five oxygen masks a day for him to choose one that worked. He was so meticulous about beauty and design that even while heavily sedated, he would rip an oxygen mask off of him. Here's a photo of Steve Jobs in his last day standing with someone, a, a good friend. His body you see, down to a skeleton. And all the family, the loved ones in his room, some, again, some biographers wrote about this. They said that his last words, he hadn't spoken in a couple of days, was having difficulty swallowing and breathing. But he said out loud, it was unmistakable, right before he passed, oh wow, oh wow. And his sister, Miss Simpson, she writes about this. She said that she didn't, they didn't know, nobody knows what happened. Perhaps he saw something that they didn't see, that nobody else saw. And she writes so beautifully, and I submit this before you today. She said she didn't know if he was grateful or fearful. So the soul, hear me now, the soul is in you, it is you. It's the invisible, integrated, eternal you. And there will be a moment, y'all, it's the greatest wow moment you'll ever experience. And there is a moment when you die, and hear me, there's the moment after that moment. And the soul is the part of you that even now, listening to us, you need to ask yourself, are you ready for that moment? And I wonder if you'll be fearful or grateful. To recap, the soul and depression. Jimmy Stewart started it. Dr. Jimmy Stewart, I see him hiding on the back row, but a, a physician he talked about from Psalm 42 uh, why are you so downcast, O oh my soul? The soul and meaning. Matthew 16, Jesus asked the question, uh, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits its soul? What does a man give in exchange for his soul? The soul and rest. The soul and rest, Jesus in Matthew 11, come to me all you weary and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. The soul refreshed. The soul refreshed. We, we look there at Psalm 19, the testimony of the Lord is perfect. It revives or refreshes the soul. And the soul in waiting. The soul in waiting was Psalm 33, 20. Although I don't think I ever read it that day, but it's, uh, my soul waits for you, O God. And today, the soul in health. Turn to 3 John 2. No one's going to turn to 3 John 2, right? Because you don't know how to turn to 3 John 2. Sorry, never mind. Just read the screen behind me as I read it. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. 
This is uh, John, and some of you know this. John described himself uh, quickly. Let me ask you, how do you describe yourself? How do you personally describe yourself? What, it'll tell you a little bit about your identity, but John described himself, self-described, as the disciple that Jesus loved. And I first thought, that's kind of weird. In fact, that's arrogant. That's uh, something that only the egotistical would be prone to do. But think about it. John's identity is in the fact that Jesus loved him. The greatest thing about me is that Jesus loved me. How about that? How about that for soul health? All of you that are striving for things, I'm one of them, I'm among you, I'm on the stage now, but I am just like you, and you're busy hurrying and scurrying and striving to prove something to people. But what if the greatest thing that I could say about me, the greatest thing that you could say about you, and you believed it down to the depths of your soul, was that Jesus loved you. And so here's John writing. We meet John first in Scripture. He's in the shadows of John the Baptist. Then we meet John. He's late in life. He's at the shadow, or late in Jesus' life. He's at the shadow of the cross. Remember the tight relationship that John, this disciple, had with Jesus and his mother Mary? He's there at the shadow of the cross. And then here, uh, Susan read it aloud for us, 2 John 3. We're reading John as an elder statesman. And he's writing to a guy named Gaius. That's spelled G I. G-A, I'm sorry, G-A-I-U-S. And Gaius has the gift of hospitality. He has a special place in John's heart. There's 1 John, that's five chapters. There's 2 John, that's only a chapter. There's this text, 3 John, and just one chapter, really short. And it's like a postcard. And he's writing because he's fired up about Gaius, and he, he commends him because Gaius had the gift of hospitality. He kept his door open and his pantry full for traveling missionaries, of whom Paul was one. And he's writing him and talking to him, and he says this. He says this, which is what we always talk about. You know, we lost Susan's dad four years ago, just after Father's Day. And I remember in his last years, uh, at dinner, he would raise a glass and say, to our health, to our health. And he struggled with his spirituality many of those years, knowing what he believed and why he believed it. But he had this sense of like the body and the health. Like, we need to be healthy, because it doesn't matter what you have. He was a man of means. It doesn't matter how much you have. You, we need our health. We need our health. And we, we all would agree with that, right? But there's soul health. And health is um, it's a funny thing. Like, there's, I know doctors in the room and people that work out. Our small group, good gracious, we got all these fit people in our small group. They do all kind of things. But there's a lot of confusion on what a healthy body or what constitutes a healthy body. Or let me say this, how you how you get a healthy body. When I was uh, growing up in the 80s or uh, 70s, my mom fed me uh, Kellogg's Frosted Mini Wheats. And she felt pretty good, right, that wheat was in the title. It's got to be healthy if wheat is in the title. Get me away from those sugary cereals that they were trying to sell me on Saturday morning cartoons or Raisin Bran. That gave her great assurance that I was eating something with bran in it. And then imagine her shock and dismay when later she learned that there is more sugar in Frosted Kellogg's, the, the mini wheats and Raisin Bran than there is in Fruit Loops or Frosted Flakes. More sugar there. Uh, we were taught growing up that butter and bacon are bad for you. And then we learned, uh, folks taught us about like good fat, right? And we're like, oh, you can eat butter and bacon and lose weight on these special diets. There's a good kind of fat. And now the World Health Organization just a couple years ago released a study uh, they believe demonstrating that that butter and coffee and that, that bacon can uh, 
increase our risk of certain kinds of cancer. So there's just a, a ton of confusion. When I grew up, candy bars and milkshakes were a treat that you would get like once a week. And now they're meal replacement bars, right? A, a perfect proprietary blend of vitamins and minerals and calories and nutrients and good fats. And you eat them on the run because we're busy professionals who just don't have time to share meals together and eat actual fruits and vegetables. So we take a bar or a shake, right? And they're good for you. They're not good for you. You read different studies. Someone invented something called kale. Kale didn't exist in the 80s. I'm sure there's <laughs> one person who invented kale who's made a lot, of mo- a lot of money off of it, right? We've been hoodwinked. So what's, what's good for us? No fooling. I was eating a banana a few months ago and a good friend looked at me with disdain and said, you're going to eat that? A banana? You know, you know, that's like drinking a Coke. The body processes a banana like it does a Coke. You're killing yourself, buddy. That's what he said to me. I'm eating a banana and a guy tells me I'm killing myself. So there's a ton of confusion about what constitutes health. But here's what I want to put before you today. The scripture is clear about what a healthy soul can look like and, and what a healthy soul needs. Um, Genesis. Are yeah. We, are we Before to, are we, we get there? there, let me say this. Uh, one of the passages that I love is in Hebrews about the soul. And it says, and I think this leads to soul health and what we're all craving for. And that is a, a home. In Hebrews, it's, it's a book all about, uh, it's all about Jesus being better. Jesus is the, the image of the invisible God. He's the divine represent, representation of God. Jesus is better. His covenant is a new covenant. His way is a new way. It's better than the Levitical priesthood and all the things of old. Jesus is better. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is an anchor for the soul. Now, why would you need someone? Why would you need a Savior? Why would you need someone who's an anchor for your soul? Could it be that you and me, that we're restless, that we're tumultuous, that we're, in a way, homeless, that we have needs, that we're vagabonds, that we're always looking and always searching, and that life can be stormy. And so we need an anchor. We need someone that we can rest in, that can give us rest for our soul. And that's what an anchor is. An anchor gives you a home base, and we need that, don't we? We love, we love to travel, and the older we get, that we like, let's say this, we love to arrive. We don't really love to travel. We like to arrive. And after we've arrived different places, we love to get back home and arrive there because there's nothing like home. Anybody feel me on that? When you travel, like you want to get home and maybe it's, um, it makes you blush to say this, but like you just get home and like you like your bathroom, right? Like you can't, you, you almost want to like talk to your toilet because it's yours. You know, you've been using public restrooms and um, I just saw a couple of your faces. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I went too far there. Um, if there was a service after this, I would not say that. But anyway, you're like, you, you get emotional with your toilet because you've been using public restrooms. You've been traveling and you, you have uh, drop spots in your house. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Now, this, this affects a marriage, but y'all know what drop spots are? It's where you, you have stuff for your keys or your bag or your wallet. And that's where it, you, you don't plan your drop spots. They just kind of evolve. And this is what, like, my keys go here. My wallet is put here. My bag goes there. And everything has a place to belong, right? And then I'll see that my stuff is not there in its home, and Susan will say... I will say that... It's in the closet. It's in the closet where it should be. Yeah, yeah, where, mean, yeah, where it belongs. She, she missed her cue there, but she's awfully cute. Uh, 
But there's a place where things belong, and we need that, don't we? We need bathrooms and home. It's a place of sanctuary, a place of sanity, a place where we go, a place where we know things, where things are. And whether your home is exquisite or it's a little shack, whether it's a beach condo or a mountain bungalow, wherever you are, whatever home is for you, you need that home. And we have sayings like home sweet home and home is where the heart is and mikasa is sukasa. We have all these sayings about home and it's really important for us and that's what our soul needs. And so if, if our physical, external, tangible, three-dimensional body needs a home. How about the soul? And so think about it. When is the last time that your soul felt at home? Well, we have um, four aspects of the soul. Um, Genesis 2, 8 to 9. Okay. And this is, we're just going to round off here as we head toward third and then home plate. We're just going to talk about um, how a soul can be healthy and go straight to Scripture. So we're taking the, the words from John about you being blessed and being healthy and your soul being healthy and prospering. Your soul having a home and being anchored. And we're going to go to the original creation story of man and woman in a garden. And so Susan, read the text and we'll talk about it. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So here, the first component that we see in the creation story, if you're a note taker, here's your cue, and we'll put them all up at the end, but it's uh, rest. It's rest. If you're going to have a healthy soul, and this was week three in our sermon series, but the, a soul needs a place of rest. And look at the story. God created man and woman and put them in a garden and he put trees around them. And these trees were beautiful and these trees provided fruit. You guys love trees. Aren't, aren't you glad? You know, there's a tree in the beginning and there's a tree of life at the end. It, it, it's leaves, it, Revelation says, are for the healing of all nations. Trees are kind of a big deal. We drive by a tree uh, by our house every day. I think we could show this tree. Anybody recognize that tree? It's in Fondren. It's just a few houses down from where I live. Uh, I took that picture this morning. They were looking out their kitchen window of why is the Fondren Church pastor taking a picture of us. But isn't that a great tree? It's just, uh, it's just grand. And this tree, again, we go by it every day when I'm riding by it in the car. I don't notice it quite as much, but when I'm running or walking or biking or skateboarding or rollerblading. You don't do either of those, by the way. Yeah, okay, I don't, I wanted them to think I skateboarded or rollerblade. But anyway, when I go by the house slower, I notice this tree and I notice how beautiful and the shade and what it represents. And God was so good to people. He was so good to people that when he created, he put a tree in their midst, he put a cool garden, and he said, enjoy this. And I, I read this years ago, I'm sort of a collector of quotations, but someone put it this way, just as a physical body um, is calibrated by, uh, as a physical body is calibrated for gravity, the soul is calibrated for levity. And I love that. I love that that idea there. Levity meaning, um, it means lightness. It means laughter. It, it does mean rest. It means leisure. It means, it means enjoyment. And that's what God gives us. So we don't rest. Consider Psalm 127, verse 1 and 2. Susan and Nick and the team had baby dedication in here last Sunday night. We stood with 
14 families uh, as they dedicated their babies to the Lord and to this church. And they probably uh, read this verse, Psalm 127, verse 1 and 2, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guard stands watch in vain. Here's the part I want you to hear. In vain you rise early and you stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for He grants sleep to those He loves. Rest and enjoyment. And when you don't experience it, you don't sleep well. If you're not sleeping well, I know the first thing is to go for pills. I'm not against it per se. Somebody smarter than me needs to weigh in on it. But there's some restlessness with our soul. And so we are to enjoy life. God gives us a garden. And so we need to learn to enjoy God and to rest in the health that He gives us. G.K. Chesterton writes, a great writer from Britain long ago, he said that when I discovered Christianity, I learned there was rules and order. But then I learned that the order the chief aim of the order of Christianity is to let the good run wild. Wow. Like, I wish I was that smart to say things like that. When I discovered Christianity, I learned there were rules and order. And then I learned that the chief aim of the order is so that the good would run wild. Like, Jesus talked about entering the kingdom as kids. Kids laugh. Y'all have read this. Kids laugh on average, 400 times a day. When you reach 40, who's 40 in the room? You probably don't want to raise your hand. If you're 40 or older like me, we laugh on average three times a day. Now, does the world lose that much beauty? We do, kind of. But does the world itself lose that much beauty? The rules and the order is for the good to run wild. And the good that God wants to run wild is deep soul health that gives us rest. We calibrate ourselves and we experience rest and enjoyment and laughter and play and we act like a kid. That's why I'm going to that kids thing this Wednesday morning. I don't know that you're invited. but It said all kids are invited. Well, you would fit that category. It said all kids are invited and you'll provide shoes or socks and admission. Yes. is what it said, so I'll be there. Thanks for the plug. Yeah. Okay, the next is responsibility. Genesis two, fifteen. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Okay. How many of y'all said that somebody, work it, work it? God was the first one to ever say, work it. And here's the, it seems like the opposite end of the coin there. The opposite end of the coin there is, here we go from rest, Genesis 2, 8 and 9, enjoyment for the soul. God gave us that in the garden to, to responsibility. Uh, there's a song lyric popular, I think, by, is it Zach Brown? My mind's on a permanent vacation. The ocean is my only medication. And it's easy to hear songs like that, particularly this time of year. And we think to ourselves, oh, you know, work is hard. Vacation is good. So... That's what it's about. It's always about that. And listen, um, a writer, a friend of mine, Tim Downs, talks about how um, preachers sometimes say we talk about the importance of relationships and how we have never heard anybody at the end of their life on their deathbed say, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. You ever heard anybody illustrate a sermon like that? I'm about to die. No one ever says, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. And my friend Tim Downs says, well, in fact, the opposite, that's not true. It's a great little thing to make people feel good about investing in their relationships and 
going home from work. But actually, there are people who've said on their deathbed, I wish I'd worked more. I wish I'd contributed more. And you know that I'm, I do want to preach against workaholism, but there, there is in us, there is in you a desire to contribute and to achieve the Hebrew word. I won't get fancy for you, but the Hebrew word in the original, in the original language there in Genesis, the original story is a similar word for serve. And you only find meaning when you serve people. Only find meaning when you serve other people around you. We have a saying at the house, we remind each other when we're getting out of whack, off kilter and balanced, and we'll remind each other to work like a beaver and play like an otter. And we need both of those in life. You need both of those. And so to have a healthy soul, you need rest, but to have a healthy soul, you need responsibility. Genesis two sixteen to 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. This is restraint. Okay, so the third point is restraint. For a healthy soul, you you need rest, you need responsibility, but hear me, you need restraint. And I love this. Keep that up if you would, Emmy. God says to his people, you're free, but you must not. You're free, yes, but you must not. You're free, but you must not. And here's what erodes a soul. Here's what, to put it more simply, here's what wrecks a life. Here are the headlines every week with somebody. Somebody has money, they have desire, and they have opportunity. And they don't say no. And here's what I'm saying. You and I, we are free, but we need to hear ourselves, tell ourselves, no. A restrained soul is very important. And so we're boundless. We enjoy it. We play like a child jumping on a trampoline. We play like otters. We're little kids at heart, but there are things that God takes seriously. And so a healthy soul aligns itself with that and knows when to say no. And it's important. It's important to take our instructions from God. And there are things, y'all, that are off limits, that aren't good for you. We're confused about sugary cereals and breakfast bars and shakes and kale and coffee and butter and bacon. There's a lot of ambiguity with that. But there's some things that God is very clear on, some things that aren't good for your soul. So He gives you this freedom. But in the midst of the freedom, don't glory in the money and the desire and the opportunity that you have. In an unabashed way, learn to say no to some things so that you can have a healthy soul. Genesis 2.18 The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. This has to do with relationship. And so the last is relationship. So let's, let's put those all four up, if you would. Some of you appreciate this, whether it's a picture or you just write it down. Genesis to all these, pa- all these passages from the original story, a healthy soul has rest, has responsibility, has restraint, and then the relationship. Uh, we think, put up this um, continuum if you would, we think the chief thing of God is get in line. Get in line. But ultimately God is saying be in love. God created us. Now this isn't a verse that everybody should be married But it is a truth that all of us are created for relationship and that we need people, married or not. Certainly if you're married, you need to find it first and foremost here. But if everybody needs people that are suitable 
and helpful. For your soul to flourish, you are, you are at your core a relational being and you need someone suitable. You need people in your life that are suitable and helpful for you. I want to ask that you would to pray with me. If you would, stand. And we spend our times thinking about our physical bodies and our health, what we put in them, what we do with them. We feel guilty in moments of weakness when we say we're going to do an intermittent fast and then we're in the kitchen at 11 eating a piece of pepperoni pizza. We think a lot about our bodies and we wish each other well. We're praying. I'm praying for some of you for physical health and healing. It's a good thing. We see it here in 3 John 2. But today, as we wrap this up, consider the health of your soul. And so bow with me, if you would. Just closed eyes, bowed head. And for a moment, forget the person, the people around you, and think for a moment about the well-being of your soul. Susan recapped and talked about where we've been in these seven weeks. The soul in depression, the soul in meaning, the soul in rest, the soul in being revived, the soul in waiting. That's so hard, isn't it? What about the health of your soul? What if we were people who monitored that? And while we make diet, nutrition, confusing and ambiguous, folks, this thing about our soul, though invisible, though eternal, I think it's far more simple than we've made it out to be. So ask God, God, what can I do to bring greater health to the innermost part of my being? Is it rest and enjoyment? Is the levity? Is it life in the original design of the garden? Is it responsibility of getting up and off your hands, and rolling up your sleeves and putting on the, the cloth of a servant? Taking responsibility. Is it restraint in areas where you've lacked? Ultimately, for us all, it's relationship. Folks, this isn't a message to get in line. This is a message to be in love. And this is a message that someone loves you. Father, bless this time as we close in prayer. And be honored. And Lord, as we've uh, touched on today or gotten close to touching on, it's a, it's a day of joy and a day of pain for so many. And our earthly fathers, uh, they, we, we do the best we know how. But God, we pray to you, a perfect heavenly father. Thank you for creating us, for breathing life into us and giving us eternity. And God, we're all moving in a direction where there will be a moment where we are done. And there will be this wow moment after that moment. Stir up in us the reality of the eternal soul. In Jesus we pray. Amen. You come today. If we can pray for you, this altar is open.
And a few of us are down front. We would love that honor of being able to pray with you.